Hello, and welcome to Dice Breakers, a TTRPG podcast and stream with mostly accurate rules and inconsistent character voices. I'm Joe, your host this week, while Alex is away throwing paint cans at flamingos, and with me are Rowan and Purdy, my wonderful players. How is everyone doing today? Hi, what are we playing? We are playing Let's Talk About One D&D. Oh, fine. Don't make me choke on my food. <laughs> uh, it's worth pointing out because uh, we'll get an angry message about it. Alex didn't tell me to say the thing about him throwing paint cans at flamingos. I've just decided right, to okay. expose him. Nice. Uh, <laughs> it's That's time the thing that made new. me choke. <laughs> it's time the world knew about his nefarious uh, it's so activities true. outside of D&D. Yeah. At, outside of stream all week, that's what he's been bragging about yeah. doing. It's disgusting. <laughs> yeah. Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's a heinous crime. From being a DM for several hours, regularly scheduled on a Saturday every week. <laughs> Animal rights activists, get in touch. Let's have Do a it. conversation. Absolutely. So, I'll support you. <laughs> Uh, this week, so yes, we are talking about 1D&D, the playtest for the next quote-unquote edition of Dungeons & Dragons, scheduled to be fully released in 2024. So, uh, of the three of us, we've kind of, uh, I, I have gone through both release bits of playtest um, that we have. Uh, Rowan has looked at some of it and Purdy has seen none of it. So we have a good mix of kind of what to, what opinions we, I think we're, we're going to end up with going through it. Some things I think we'll all say are terrible and some things I think we'll all go, <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> that's, that's been the so, reception so far. So to start with then, uh, what is it? What is one, one D and D would either of you care to venture a guess? Or just tell me the answer if you already know. Let's do it's it in where order. Where D and D all comes into one. I mean, basically, the marketing material has gotten to her. Hurry, we have to reset Purdy. <laughs> um, Essentially, yeah. From my perspective, oh, I was being a dick and just making a random thing that I thought was completely wrong. <laughs> no, of course, of course they're going to call it one D and D after five E. Of course, that's their idea. Just like Xbox One, it's all in one. The one ring, the one D and D. Essentially, the the game that we normally play is Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition. Um, Probably every few will years, for a while. <laughs> yeah, every few years, D and D basically updates their rules. I thought we just played the home homebrew. We well, do add homebrew in, yeah. <laughs> so, I didn't realize any of what we actually used was still oh, yeah. to original Five E. Oh yeah. No, it's mostly 5A with little bits, bits and bobs of homebrew. Um, so every few years they change the rules and people either like it or don't. But um, the, what is happening now is kind of like the addition to end all editions. This whole one D&D, it is their kind of thing of it's all going to come together and be one thing and we're not going to do editions anymore. It will we'll just do like tiny updates to this and that will be D&D forever. Slightly exaggerating, but also kind of not. Um, <laughs> that is the plan as it stands at the moment. Due to release fully in 2024, and until then, they are releasing um, in kind of a staggered fashion information for players to playtest. And then after a couple of weeks, they open up a survey to get in responses. 
This uh, the first playtest response has already come in, and their survey has closed. They have had over forty thousand uh, respondents, so it's good. And it kind of is tying into a few other things that are happening at the moment with Dungeons and Dragons and Wizards of the Coast. So, is one D and D just going to be D and D in a new kind of a new name with a few different rules? The thinking is no. Wizards of the Coast has purchased D&D Beyond, which we'll use um, to find character sheets, rules, items, whatever. It's basically D&D, but online. They are also thought to be developing their own virtual tabletop. Um, oh, that something was like at this point. Uh, I don't know. I don't think we know what kind of virtual tabletop. If it is an actual like full tabletop thing, like Tabletop Simulator, if it's something like Tailspire, where you can kind of go around and it's 3D and you can kind of import models, or if it's going to be something like Roll20, where it's kind of two-dimensional maps with various functionality built in. So, for example, on Roll20 at the moment, you can play the Curse of Strahd module because they have a bunch of things made for it in partnership with Wizards. Yeah. I don't think we know yet what that's going to look like. There is also... And this, we are going to be delving into a little bit of speculation uh, today. There is currently speculation because of some recent hiring at Wizards of the Coast, uh, as well as a couple of other decisions, that one D&D might be a subscription-based service, like D&D Beyond is. Whether or not that comes to pass, what will happen then with books, if you'll be able to buy a book and there'll be a code so that you get it through D&D Beyond, we don't know frankly. Uh, all of that is still up for speculation, and I would imagine that information won't be confirmed until tail end of 2023 at the earliest. But that's kind of what we're dealing with. Now, in terms of what we're going to talk about today, what they have said is that 1D&D is going to be backwards compatible. I'm, I'm doing heavy air quotes uh, for anyone who can't see me. Mm -hmm. um, so that all the thing, all the books that you've bought previously, uh, all the maps and stuff, all the dice and minis, you'll still be able to use them with one DVD. As we will see, that is not necessarily the case, and backwards compatible might be not the best term uh, <laughs> to use. <laughs> so I have broken down the kind of uh, proposed changes because remember, this is all playtest. None of this is confirmed except for like a couple of things which we'll get to. Um, these are all proposed changes. I've broken them down into six groups. The rules, um, the races, feats, backgrounds, spellcasting, and the classes. So we're going to go through that in that, that in that order. I believe you guys have your PDFs open because we might be I have... jumping around a little bit. One of the PDFs open. Okay. I have whatever Rowan sent me. Yeah, we both have the second Unearthed Arcana for one D and D open. Cool. I don't think we have the first. Uh, if I send you this link, does that give you? Um... I'll not send it to Alex. He's not here. Right, if you click on that, does that just take you straight to it? Ah, yes, but on the wrong page. There we okay. Go. So, rules changes then. Um, this is not necessarily uh, going to be an, a fully comprehensive 
fucking in-depth guide to every single change made in these playtest materials. Frankly, there are far too many of them uh, to do that. If you want that kind of thing, I would recommend. Am I, am I able to, to give recommendations to someone's YouTube channel? I've never, we've never really done that on, on the show. Yeah, I guess I so. I mean, well, Alex, if you, if may, want, Alex may not like it, but I don't give a shit. So go ahead. <laughs> if, if, if I mean, we that... talk about quite a few. So yeah. okay, cool. If you want that kind of in-depth analysis uh, with the maths, importantly, we're not going to dive into the maths really today because. Like, fuck that. Uh, other people can, can and will do that better than me. Um, <laughs> uh, I would recommend checking end. out uh, Treant Monk uh, on YouTube. Oh. They are a D&D optimizer and have been for years, uh, fairly well known. Um, but they, they have all the maths and have gone through everything with a fine tooth comb. And I think they've recently released a video which is like an open letter to Jeremy Crawford about the design process, etc. So finish watching or listening to us. And then at some point later, go check out uh, Tree and Monk, because they're cool. And they also do fun builds and stuff. Okay, so at the very end of your PDF pages that you've got there, some of them are very long, the final section is a rules glossary. So what uh, Jeremy Crawford, who is the lead designer of uh, Dungeons and Dragons and is kind of taking the helm on one D&D, has said, is that each new rules glossary that comes out, so that whatever the latest version is, if you like, takes precedence and supersedes the first one or the, or any previous ones. So you can still play test with material from the first, first release. So you could pick your race and background from the first one, but if you're play testing, you should really use the most up-to-date, at this point in time, the second play test rules lottery, okay? So that's just as, as kind of a premise because we're gonna talk about some stuff that they have Asked for feedback on, and it seems it has very quickly been reverted. So the biggest <laughs> one from that, we're going to start straight off with it, is changes to crits. So, fun <laughs> yeah, question. I forgot that they did that thing first. <laughs> oh, fun no. question. Who can tell me what happens if you roll a natural 20 on an ability check? Uh, Rules as written. Nothing. I'm in. You still have so, to add your stuff to it to see if you pass the, yeah. the check. It's not, yeah. not a success. So, essentially, yes. It's not an auto-success. Just like a natural one is not an automatic failure. Rules as written in 5e, that only applies to things like weapon attacks or basically any kind of attack roll. Now, a lot of people homebrew it as nat 20 is either an automatic success or the way that I prefer it is you get the best possible result and then the same conversely for a nat one. Yeah. Because if you make it an automatic success and, uh, you know, I say, I want to do an athletic check to jump to the moon. Yeah. And the DM says, okay, roll for it. If I get a nat 20, I might jump like 20 feet in the air and that's impressive, but it doesn't really do anything. Yeah, if it's I an think automatic that's just success, wording. then I jump to the moon, you know, so... We'll see. That is something that they t took from a popular homebrew to to in the rules. They proposed all nat 20s. So on what they are now calling a D20 test. So basically any roll that you roll at a D24, mm -hmm. all 20s would be an automatic success. That also includes on saving throws as well as ability checks and obviously attack rolls. So let's say you are fighting uh, 
who's who's a who's a big baddie that we fought in in the campaigns? Um. Oh God, what's his face? Starkrim. Starkrim. Star the 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 big uh, red dragon asshole. Yeah. yeah. So let's say <coughs> that you are fighting him with your current level one C three characters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, what is your uh, dexterity saving throw at the moment on your C three characters? <laughs> what do you add? Uh, hold on, I've made a lot of characters recently. Five plus five. I think I still save from a... mine's probably similar. Okay, yeah, you're both playing rogues, right? Yeah, and mm-hmm. have yeah. almost the same stats except for our intelligence, wisdom, and charisma. I think. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So, so plus five. So, as a level one character. Mm-hmm. You're adding only plus five rather than like when we actually fought him when we might have been adding like plus ten plus twelve or you know, something maybe more, you know. Mm-hmm. When you add the, the crazy bonuses. If you had rolled a Nat 20, then you would have automatically succeeded, regardless of if his DC was actually like 26. So even though you would have only rolled a 25, you would still have succeeded that save. And the same is, you know, if you were fighting whoever or whatever so at high level play you would still always have a chance to succeed so this opens up kind of a bit of a a thing of should you always be able to succeed or conversely as a high level character for example or even not even high level as someone who specializes in one thing should you always be able to fail on like a five percent chance what what do you guys think let's say for example you are a barbarian trying to lift a rock. Strength is your thing. You can rage, you can get advantage, you can do all sorts of stuff, but there is always going to be 5% chance that you fail that check. Um, that sounds right to me. Even if it's not that big a boulder? Yeah. It. Because you, you think that? about it, right? There's always a percentage that even if you're good at something, you will fail at doing it. Say you are good at picking up rocks because you're strong, mm-hmm. but in real life you go to pick up the rock, you could misplace where your hands go on it, and it won't lift properly, or you could it could slip out your fingers. There is always mm-hmm. a chance that you're going to fail. You... Mm-hmm. So what... why not have that in D and D? What do you think about conversely always having a chance to succeed? Well, yeah, because there's always a off chance that you may be able to do something that you can't normally do mm-hmm. it's just like life there is always a chance that it may go right it may go wrong whether you are good at it good at it or not what do you think Rowan? um i think five percent chance is too much of a chance for either of those options um it seems like way too high of a chance to have to have to fail at something that, especially in, if you have expertise or something at it, it seems <coughs> absurd that there's a 5% chance to fuck up something that you have that much training for. Um, same way as you have a 5% chance to succeed on something that you may have never done in your entire life. Um, that may be a highly skilled thing to do. Yeah. This one, I, I don't feel strongly about one way or the other. I I can see the merits of kind of the both of like, it's a game you should have a chance to either succeed or fail. But at the same time, does that play into realism versus like 
power fantasy, for example. Yeah. Like, uh, let's say you have a negative modifier, right? Let's say you are again a barbarian. You have negative one to your wisdom saving throw, let's say, for whatever reason. And you're fighting a lich who tries to mind control you. Their DC is twenty. Now, without any kind of extra buff from your party, you will always fail that because you cannot automatically succeed as the rule stand. I do. So the think... question is: is that is that fun? Does that work? I do like, think. I, from I'm a... not sure that this is one where there's a right and wrong. From a player perspective, I, that sucks to know that you mm. never have a chance to succeed on anything like that. Mm. Um, yeah. But again, yeah. that's where we come into realism versus the kind of the power fantasy of playing this kind of big strong guy, yeah. uh, you know, a hero, whatever. So this one, this this proposed change was contentious, and as of the second latest, was reverted. Yeah. Um, however, there is another aspect to this which I do feel strongly about. So as part of this, it was there were two other changes along with crits. So the first one, which as two people currently playing rogues, I think you will feel strongly about this, was that only weapon, uh, when getting a crit on kind of in combat, only weapon attacks and unarmed strikes could crit. You could not crit with a spell. Yeah. Hmm. I personally think that's a bit weird. However, yeah. it does not stop there. You roll the damage. So this is the exact te text from the playtest. You roll the damage dice of the weapon or unarmed strike a second time and add the second roll as extra damage to the target. That means no doubling your damage from smites or sneak attack or any other bonus that you might get. That's just not fun. It means only rolling your like d4 from your dagger again. That's just not that, fun. Yeah, that takes the fun out of it all. Uh-huh. <coughs> it's... I thought it was a really bizarre change, as well as removing just spell crits. Yeah, that... Now... Yeah. I was about to might... say, it makes it unfair for spellcasters, mm -hmm. because at that point, everyone may as well not play spells, because there is no chance of you getting the same success as somebody that's playing with... It'll always be middling weapons. damage. Yeah. But on the flip side then... of that, a lot of spells, even if they pass their saving throw, they still take damage, which you don't get with attack rolls. So I can see where they're coming from. Mm. So it just is, it's less fun for the player, I yeah. think. That is, if you if you go on any, any D D forum, there is usually debate about a disparity of power between martial characters and spellcasting characters. Yeah. Because the thinking is that swinging a sword is not as powerful as, you know, being a wizard. Uh we're not here to argue about that today, but that change to the rules would have made spellcasting less powerful while making martial classes less powerful, but not by as much as the spellcasting. There was one other thing with this. All of these rules that we have been discussing about with changes to crits only applied to players. The change to the rules for the DM as NPCs and monsters was that they could not crit. Yeah. That's, a natural that's 20 as a monster would have no extra effect. It would just be well, then, that you had rolled well. Yeah, there's no point with that one because then that then takes away the the risk of the game. And also the DM's a player too, which they seem to often yeah. forget. Exactly. Yeah. So that was the big thing with crits. Um, 
as I said, that has kind of been reverted as of this second playtest. They basically just said, use the crit rules as they are. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we won't touch them. Fine, fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have your crit rules. <laughs> it, yeah. It was something that they said was going to be afterwards. They said this, so I'm not going to cast aspersions on how sincere this is or not. Uh, but what they said was that while there will be natural progressions in these changes, so for example, some of the wording might change to make it a bit clearer or a bit more common sense, or you know where things had come out in the player's handbook and had kind of you know newer releases might have done the same thing but a little bit better. They'll just bring those up. Natural progression there. They had also said that they are just going to experiment wildly sometimes and <laughs> and just see what people think. Fair. So that's what they claimed that was. Mm, uh, right. Less said about it, the better. Another change uh, is grappling. So oh. this is something that comes up in our in our games uh, every so often. I rem remember my first session with you guys in C two. Uh, we spent about fifteen minutes attempting to grapple Mark's character. Yeah, uh, a month. Clint. Worked so well. <laughs> <laughs> so, this change, funnily enough, might be, if it goes through, a massive boost to monks. So currently, how, how, how do you grapple someone at the moment? I mean, I feel like it's, it's always something that we don't really understand. Because we're always just like, I don't know, make this check. <laughs> um, but usually, so usually it's contested yeah. athletics checks. Um, and if you're trying to escape, it's athletics or acrobatics to get out. Yeah. If you're initiating it, you do an athletics check. If you're resisting it, athletics or acrobatics. Yeah. Contested checks. If you have a higher bonus than them, your chance is better to succeed. Yeah. On whichever end of that you are. And it, you can also do that instead of an attack. If you have multiple attacks, uh, it replaces one of them. If you only have one attack, it's basically grappling as an action. Mm -hmm. This is now quite different. So at the moment, uh, Unarmed Strikes is something that appears on all of our character sheets on DMD Beyond as like small bonuses, do like one damage maybe, yeah. and that's it. And it's just kind of useless. Grappling is now something that you can do if you hit with an Unarmed Strike. So Unarmed Strikes, everyone is now proficient in, which I don't know if that was the case beforehand. So, it has no resource cost, so if you just punch someone and you meet the armor class, meet or beat, you can then choose one of three things. Do damage, shove them, uh, which I believe is either five feet or knocks them prone, or you can choose to grapple them. It does not take the place of an attack, you just have to do it with an unarmed attack. How do we feel about that? Um weird honestly mm. um, it's, a, it, it's not a change i was expecting yeah i i don't think i like that um because i i know right now to do that kind of thing you need to have unarmed proficiency as a trained skill um I've been looking at building a bunch of classes, and one of the classes I was looking at was um, an unarmed trained fighter, which you only get that by do taking that proficiency in unarmed. Mm -hmm. uh, There's also um, a kind of uh, a build, if you like, for classes where basically if you want to be good at grappling, 
you gain expertise somehow in athletics through feats or yeah. maybe you get it as part of your class. Um, that would now be basically athletics or even acrobatics because how you escape from it is different, which we'll cover in a sec. There would be one less reason to take expertise in those two skills. Mm. So currently to escape a grapple, unless otherwise specified, it takes an action to try and do that. You roll again, it's another contest, athletics versus athletic or acrobatics. This is the, the new wording. While grappled, you make a dexterity or strength saving throw against the grapple's escape DC, which is uh, strength plus eight, uh, sorry, eight plus strength plus your proficiency bonus. So it's always strength based mm. um, at the end of each of your turns, ending the condition on yourself on a success. It also ends if the grappler is incapacitated or if something moves you outside the grappler's range without using your speed. Hmm. So you no longer have to give up an action. At the end of your turn, automatically you make a save to try and escape. I mean, that probably makes sense to me. I don't because it's it's the same way you deal with a, a spell that's causing that kind of effect on you. It's just, it's yeah, not, it can make it at the end of your turn. Really it's like, yeah. you're not going to want to stay in a grapple if you're in it, so of course... Yeah. Mm. Um, I don't like the set escape DC. Mm -hmm. I feel like the contested check is still better there, because it can change each time. You don't have a consistent I, I feel muscle like... strength wrapped around somebody. Yeah. I feel like a contested check captures the kind of, like, struggle in a fight. Yeah, it's more dynamic. Um, yeah. You look concerned, Purdy. I'm just more trying to wrap my head around it. Because when we play d and I just go by what my sheet says and what you guys say. Mm -hmm. So this is all not confusing for me. It's just trying to work out how it works, if that makes sense. Yeah. Trying to figure I, out the I, cause I and what... effect of all of it. Yeah. yeah. I think what Rowan said about it being kind of like a spell's effect is a good way to think of it. I, I actually hadn't occurred to me that that's similar to like Hold Person, for example. Yeah. Where you might make a save at the end of every... Uh, at the end of everything. Um, so... It... I think this is one that, so personally, I haven't playtested this, so I couldn't tell you how this feels to play. Mm -hmm. I think it will become very obvious very quickly to people who do whether or not it is a good change or a bad change. Um, but I, it was kind of an unforeseen one. I, I don't think many people were expecting that. I may incorporate uh, my, my version of that in Terrace, where you get to make it at the end of your turn without having to waste your action on it. Sure. Um, but you still have to make so, the check rather than there being a DC because that's that's fucking weird. It's weird. Yeah. Uh, so the next change is on uh, inspiration. So uh, if you go to page Mechanics. nineteen on the first on the first playtest document, yeah, okay. um, basically 
inspiration currently is you do something like you might role play well or you might have a cool moment and the dm might go you get inspiration and it basically gives you advantage on a check when you want and you choose when or not to use it inspiration now is something that's gained in a few different ways one of which we'll cover in the races section but in the first play test they were experimenting with if you roll a nat 20 you gain inspiration so you can only have one at a time but you can then basically until it expires at your next long rest i think uh you can then choose to take advantage on any d20 check in the second play test they experimented with you get this inspiration when you roll a nat one and you fail on something obviously you can't use it on that that check but it would be almost kind of like a mitigating factor to okay you got a nat one but you can choose to take advantage on something later also a homebrew that's been done by quite a few groups yeah yeah i i don't know how i feel about that one i feel like advantage gaining advantage on something i i feel like when it's easy to do it's always on specific things so for example there are systems that give you advantage all the time on your stealth checks you know or it might be that you as a barbarian again you reckless attack you gain advantage for a cost this i feel like just being able to gain advantage on anything i don't yeah i don't know how i feel about that i don't i think that might make things a bit easy i don't know what, what do you guys think i um hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I've Inspir- never really understood how inspiration worked in the first place. That's because there's never okay. been mechanics for it. They just said, here's something that exists. Give it out when you feel yeah. like it. So like, yeah, DMs can do this. And some some people use it all the time. Some people never use it. I like to use it if I remember it. it. But, I mean, I... there's so much going on when you're DMing. It's the kind of thing that you just don't remember <coughs> because why would you when you've got to remember about well, your stat blocks and coming up and... The only time I remember Alex using it is um, in our first campaign um, when in that shop when when Babamut said the thing um, with the magic is is good that that whole situation. Yeah. It, <laughs> um, I said something very clever and Alex was very tickled by it, so he gave me inspiration. And I don't remember any other. I think that's the one and only time I remember him doing mm. that. Yeah. And never again. How, how do you guys, how do you guys feel about it as a, as a baked in thing then? Especially as so with our game, it's quite role play heavy. We don't roll a lot of dice outside of combat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this this again would work very differently or come up a lot more in a game where you roll a lot of skill checks or maybe if you're doing puzzles that that re- require a lot of skill checks. Um, what, do you, what do you think? I still think it should be up to the. The DM's discretion. Mm. I mean, it seems you like you get a... it too much otherwise. Yeah. So I, like I mean, our DM should give it out more, but yeah, I, I like it as an optional thing. I, I like uh, the idea the of left. getting it when you get an at one, but not every time you get an at one. Like maybe if it, like if you're just failing, having a terrible session. The DM can decide to give you one or something. Just yeah, maybe something like if you're having a really bad session and you roll like three nat ones in a session. Yeah, just having a rough day, day, taking inspiration. Yeah. 
But I, I think that that kind of that DM fear about it is, I think, a healthy thing rather than baking it in. Because yeah. again, you could make a character so that you are rolling as many times as possible so that you increase your likelihood of a getting that 20s. But also, if you have therefore increased your uh, ability to get net ones, you're increasing your ability to get inspiration to avoid net ones. Yeah. Um, even if you're not doing that on purpose, a monk, as they stand at the moment, can at level five make four attacks on a turn. Whereas a rogue uh, at that same level is only making one. Straight away, there's a difference there in how likely you are to be getting this. Yeah. And considering that it's something that should apply to all players equally, I yeah, I don't know how I feel about it. I also feel like it should, rather than, uh, since there's so many other ways to get advantage, I feel like just having it be a re-roll rather than advantage on a roll. Mm. I think maybe maybe better. Yeah. So, next one. Uh, this is another kind of quite different change. Uh, and again, I'm I'm really interested to see what you guys think about it. This is a change to exhaustion. Yeah. So at the moment, exhaustion is there's like six levels of it. If you gain a level of it, you gain an extra basic condition. It might be that your movement speed decreases. Uh, or that you get a disadvantage on ability checks. But this is page 32 on the second playtest, if you want to have a look. Um, I wonder why I couldn't find it. <laughs> uh, and these things stack. And basically, if you get six levels of exhaustion, you just die. Doesn't matter what your health is, what else is going on, you fucking die. You're dead. That's it. Game over. And then you can only reduce your level of exhaustion by one with, I think there are some spells that do it, like Greater Restoration or taking a long rest. This changes it. So rather than having disadvantage or reduced speed across six levels of exhaustion, there are now 10 levels of exhaustion. And they all, as you go through them, they all apply a minus one to your rolls effectively. If your okay. exhaustion is at level five, you have a negative five penalty to your rolls. I I think that that's a nice, simple way of doing it. Yeah? Mm. Um, and then you die if your exhaustion level exceeds ten. I think I think that makes plenty of sense. Yeah, I I like this, but I do think they need to have like speed effects at certain levels as well. Because it would make sense mm. that you can't go your yeah, full speed. Yeah, you would be able to... Yeah. I so like know. at levels, say, 3, 6, 9, you get an extra penalty. Yeah, minus, minus 10 feet on 3, 6, and 9 or something like that. Mm. I think that would make sense. I, I think this is something that I think, if it gets implemented, we'll see a lot of homebrew. Yeah. to to mm. where, uh, because there are so many levels of it and i also think that because the penalty is no longer so massive at first it'll get a lot more use like yeah so i think mm. the first penalty at the moment as it stands is disadvantage on all ability checks yeah um or and attack rolls of basically like being poisoned yeah which seems that's like a, a massive penalty yeah it's it's massive the first thing um I so feel like because it's so massive a lot of dms don't want to use it so Free. Yeah. 
Exactly. Despite Whereas, adventurers being the most likely people to be exhausted most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> so not not only I think will it encourage us as players to be more like, oh, can I do this? Uh, and the GM can go, yeah, but it will exhaust you. Or you know, it, it, I think it will encourage that kind of um, kind of heroic, like last standy kind of thing. Or you know, mm -hmm. maybe oh, can I take advantage if I get this? You know. But also a DM can go, yes, but that will be three levels of exhaustion and they can play around a little bit more with just how exhaust, exhausting an action or something is. Yeah. Um, which I, I, I like. I, I, yeah. I think that I think that works. Yeah, I like that. Cool. Subtract your exhaustion level from your spell save. I don't know about the spell save DC. Yeah. That's... That is the only other one. So Ugh. your spell save DC decreases as well mm. i don't know how i feel how about that, that makes sense we'll see so this then we can relate back to what we were just talking about with grappling so this would not reduce a grapples dc because it's not a spell dc it's a set mm. dc based on your strength score mm -hmm. yeah that's that's very weird mm. whereas if it was still a contested check it would be harder for you to succeed either initiating or escaping a grapple. I, I think remove remove the spell DC thing and maybe put in the movement speed penalties. Yeah. Um, mm. Because it's so hard to gain spell DC outside of like magic items. Yeah, it's mm. already such a set thing that I feel yeah. like it's attached to the level and quality of the spell. Let more than it is the the character yeah okay so some mm. more new stuff uh we're reaching towards the end of the kind of th the rules section um and these are these are some some smaller weird ones that i grouped together these are basically changes to or entirely new actions so at oh, the moment yeah. actions being you know attack dash cast a spell what have you uh rowan uh, I would like you to go to page 33 of the second playlist and take a look at the hide action, since you said about you hate the, uh, the yep. set DC on the grapple. Yep, yep, Curdy, yep. I would like mm -hmm. you to go to page 33 of the second playlist, uh, looking at the bottom right, for the influence action. This is a brand new one. Just take take a minute to have a I, read of those. Uh, this... Rowan, I'll come back to you first, because the influence one is slightly got a, a bit more to it. This one is... So, Rowan. Yeah, this one is... I, I did read this one, and... Like, I, I understand what they're going for. So, uh, essentially, the, there's a set DC 15 um, stealth check you have to meet when you're hiding. It I think it's it's implied that it's in combat. Because it's a mm -hmm. the hide action. Well, this is the thing. Because it is defined as just a hide action. You can take any action in combat or out of combat. Yeah. So it would mean that hiding at all times is 15. Yeah. Mm. So, so it does say on there, I think, about certain environments that you can do it in. Yeah, you have to be behind three quarters cover or total cover and must be out of any visible enemy's line of sight. Yeah. Which, it, that wording is weird as well, because if the enemy is not visible to you, but can see you, can they then not 
discern that you're hiding because you can't see them. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> if, if you're invisible and they can't see you, yeah, are you out of their line of sight because you're invisible? Uh, maybe, probably. Mm. But does that also mean that your DC to hide is still 15 because you're invisible? Yeah. It's, but the hi hiding rules at the moment are a mess. I don't think many people really know how they work. But I do. And I don't think that this is the way to go to fix it either. I do understand why they said it though, because the initial hiding it's like trying to situate yourself behind some cover, which the the cover is not going to move. So <laughs> it's about how you position yourself. But then, the part that bothers me is for a creature to discern whether it is there needs to make a perception check, and with these new rules, a perception check is a full fucking action. So they have mm -hmm. to spend their entire turn to determine if they can see you. That's the fucked up part to me. <laughs> cool. So we'll go from there to the influence action. Purdy. A lot of text there, right? <laughs> yeah, which is really hard for me to read whilst like listening as well. That's all right. So essentially, I want you to take take a, a little a little look. Not like you didn't. Yeah, I've scanned it. it in depth. But would you agree that what you're essentially seeing there? is a long-form, text-based version of please make a persuasion check. Yep. Yeah. That's exactly what I thought I was reading. I'm like, <laughs> what the fuck? So for people who, who haven't looked at the uh, the playtest, this is the influence action. It's brand new. So it says you can spend an action to basically try and get an NPC to do what you want. It does specify it is an NPC. This is not something where you... Uh, might be at a table and there could be a problematic player being like, I use my action to influence you to do this. And now you have to do it because I have really high charisma. This is not mind control. Mm. They specify that. It is only for NPCs controlled by the DM. So they've they've kind of sidestepped that straight away. Good. But this is, it, it breaks it down into three steps. There's kind of like the NPC's uh, attitude towards you down in like four separate, three or four separate uh, measurements, DC is affected by that, and then whatever check you make. Now, I noticed something on here, I don't know if this is uh, maybe my reading of it, or if I'm missing something here. It says that you, ha well, first of all, it specifies that it has to be a charisma check, which I thought was interesting because what you do have in, in the rules at the moment is something that lets you make a charisma check, like a persuasion check using, say, strength. Know, you might want to do that with performance instead if you have a high charisma but it means that someone like that fighter or barbarian or paladin for example can still make those checks if you have proficiency in persuasion but you have a higher strength score and you're like oh i really want to impress them by like bench pressing like this car out the way you might say okay make a persuasion check but use your strength instead of charisma so it doesn't it doesn't happen often but it is kind of something that exists at the moment whereas this specifies charisma under the list of skills there, in front of you, Purdy, it says about persuasion, deception, and performance. I believe it also says animal handling, right? Yeah. Animal handling is currently a wisdom skill, is it not? Yep. Yeah. So I'm assuming do... that's suggesting animal handling is becoming charisma? Uh, that, that's my assumption, yeah. Which, I mean, you can make an argument for it either way, I think, with any of the kind of... Yeah. Intellect-based rules. 
or mind-based skills. One of the things I'd uh, like to see is some skills to become, like, able to be done with two kinds of ability checks. Yeah, yeah, like, that's what I was just thinking. Like, intimidation, strength, or charisma, animal handling, wisdom, or charisma. I, yeah. I don't know. Like, for example, we were talking about earlier the current rules with grappling. Athletics and acrobatics. Let's be real. Functionally, they do the same thing. It's just that they're tied to different ability scores. Unless you're talking to you Alex, could... in which there's a very clear distinction, and acrobatics is significantly less useful yeah. than athletics. <laughs> <laughs> but you, they, they essentially allow you to do the same thing, and the difference comes in maybe flavor-wise because of the ability scores. You could easily have a. You could just, I mean, you could just call it athletics anyway, and it have it be either strength or dex. Dex, dex. Uh, so yeah, I thought that was an interesting little thing. Yeah, we'll, we'll not spend too much longer on, on the influence action because I think it's it's a strange one. I don't think uh, it's and I don't around. think it's too very much. No, um, it's too rigid. So as well, the is next it... one. Yeah. I was gonna say the next one is on page thirty six. Actually, both of the next ones are on page thirty six, and you've already alluded to uh, to it, Rowan. We have the search action and the study action. So the search action is basically make a perception check. Uh, you know, although it, I think it's got a little table there of what checks you could do and what reason you might do them for. Now, I, I think that this is clarification of something at the moment. So I don't think anywhere in the current DMG or anything it says, if you want to look around on your turn in combat, that is an action. But we do have subclasses like uh, the Inquisitive Rogue, where it does specify that you can make a perception check as a bonus action. So whether or not this is clarification or, um, you know, it's still it's still coding into the rules something fixed. Whereas plenty of times it might be, you know, we, we might be running a game, I might be DMing, you might be in a having a fight in a room where there is also a puzzle. And you might say, what can I see? And I might say, well, how how long do you want to spend? Like, how much of a check do you want to do? Because I can just tell you for free what, what, what it is on a perception check. Mm. Or if you want to spend your action doing a perception check, then yeah, obviously you're giving something up. But you might, you might, you know, the DC might be lower, etc. Yeah. I'm not sure I like that it's kind of baked in here as this is what this is and how you do it, rather than it being a little bit up to DMP. Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah, I think it may just be a wording thing. Really, I, I, I imagine they're intending it to be the same way, just with more clarification. And yeah. DMs will probably do, still continue to do that thing where you can get a cursory understanding of what you're looking at versus an in-depth understanding. You spend yeah. an action doing it. And study is, is essentially the same thing. It's an action to remember stuff or, you know, basically make your religion check, make it's, your history check. It's whatever. the Neva action. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So th those are new actions. I'm sure, again, if you want like super in-depth stuff, people will be talking about, you know, edge cases, stuff like this, things where they might be abusable, that kind of thing. Well, edge cases are what we call the homebrew section of our <laughs> yeah. understanding of the So rules. we're instead going to jump to, we've, we've only got two, two bits left on the rules. I would like, before either of you find it on the document, what are the current jumping rules? Oh, I don't fucking know. That's something because no kill. one does. Something to do with your strength. <laughs> that, it's harder to... The, if you have some distance to 
get a running start, you can go a little farther. I don't know. The current jumping rules is essentially a, it's a formula yeah. for working out how far you can jump on a uh, like on a standing jump or a running jump, and it's bollocks. No one, no one knows what it is. It's like yep. the fucking traveling rules. No one remembers the many. I don't even know what the normal travel. rules are. Yeah. Exactly, it's it's ridiculous. So they've made new jump rules, basically. So it's on uh, page thirty-five of the second playtest. So it should just be up from where you were. And it's basically now you do a check. <laughs> oh, you mean the way, mean the way everyone else is doing it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I have used the jump rules once for a character, and that is what because I was playing as a kobold artificer who rode around in the pouch of his kangaroo-like Smith yeah. defender. So I, I had it I had the jump spell prepared because it's a kangaroo, I wanted to jump high. And that was it. It was a joke that I used once. It was only ever useful maybe less than once. Uh, yeah. So they've they've basically it's a check now. That's it. <laughs> I do like that they're clarifying that you can use acrobatics or athletics for the DT ten check. <laughs> so we can say, Hey Alex, look! You can jump with acrobatics! So you will notice there, though, it does the same thing as with check. animal candy. Yeah, that's, that's anyway, good. Yeah. Mm. It's there's strength, athletics, or acrobatics. Mm. Mm. I don't know if that's typo, or if they're making them both strength-based, that would seem... Like, I, I think any acrobat would need to be strong. I, I think that goes without saying. But to tie it to the strength stat, I think is redundant to have. Yeah, but any acrobatic needs to be dexterous first. Yeah. Yeah, and I would say that's more important than the strength aspect of it, mm. especially yeah. since we have athletic three. Again, strength. Uh, we don't know. Strength don't slash dex. Give me, give me yeah. two ability score skills, please. Cool. So the last one the, on the rules kind of glossary here, uh, I think, will be especially important to you, Purdy, at the moment with our C three. So this is on uh, still page thirty five. This is the light weapon property. So at the moment. When you're playing uh, as your rogue, and you uh, have tended to do two weapon fighting, attack on your action, bonus action, you're holding two light weapons, you can do a bonus action attack without adding your dex mod. This says, if you're using light weapons, you just do it as part of the attack. You don't have to give up your bonus action to do it. You still aren't able to add your your mod, I think, Mm, but... It means that you are able to use your bonus action to do other stuff. That's really good. I think that's a really good change. Two-weapon fighting has been a little bit of a contentious thing because it massively plays into the the kind of the power fantasy thing of, you know, uh, a good example is fucking Legolas with his two swords. You know, he's going, woo! Yeah. Dancing all over the place, stabbing people, murder, when he's not bow and arrowing people. Yeah. Right? But to do that in D&D with action bonus action especially considering you don't get the extra damage the reliable bit of the damage and half the rogue things limit, you can do are bonus actions yes <laughs> uh whereas this i think nicely marries that together mm-hmm. and light weapons have smaller damage dies anyway mm-hmm. so i mean what's the harm in in doing that you still have to hit um so yeah, I, I think that's a nice change. Yeah, I think it makes light weapons more viable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. 
more reason to use two two knives rather than something else. Yeah. Uh, okay, that's it for the rules glossary. We're going to get into the more kind of out of the nitty gritty stuff and into the more kind of like exciting bigger changes. The thing that's going to make me so, really angry is our spells next. Races is next. Okay, spells okay. is near the end. <laughs> so, we're not going to be able to stop talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> so races. Uh, if you go, this starts on page three of the first play test. So. Tasha's optional rules are now Tasha's firm rules on uh, the ability score increases. Races no longer give you... Also, races, linea lineages, folk... I don't know which terms we're using at the moment. I'm going to go with races because it's what people are familiar with and it's what it has been. That's just for the purposes of this. Not indicative of anything in particular with regard to real-life race. Uh, so... Ability score increases. Plus two, plus one, or plus one, plus one, plus one. You choose it. Not when you choose your race, to begin with. We'll, we'll cover that later. Um, but it basically is, is now entirely removed from your race. Um, so all of them are on equal footing when it comes to ability scores. That kind of has been implemented. People have argued left and right about that. But in the end they're still able to build their character the way that they want. Everyone can build their own character the way that they want. Yep. And that's fine. There is a new race, the Ardling. No. Uh, they, are, they are kind of an opposite to Tieflings, but they're not Asimar or what? Asimar, however you want to say it. They are kind of angel people with animal heads. <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Yeah. So they basically have a thing where you choose if they're from, okay. you know, which you know? kind of order. Um, of if, if it's like neutral, lawful, or chaotic, good. Uh, and they get different stuff based on that. And you can choose an animal head and they get a, a short flight thing. Um, nothing especially that we haven't seen before. Uh, but it's a new, new race. Yeah. Nothing on it seems especially sure. broken or overpowered. It's just kind of is what it is. Sure. Uh, now, something that I think a lot of people were expecting to be changed quite significantly, because it already has been, is the Dragonborn. So all, almost all the stuff that we're discussing here are changes or updates to the Player's Handbook, and in some cases, the Dungeon Master Guide. The Dragonborn is kind of infamous for being pretty crap from the Player's Handbook. Um, so, they got some updates uh, in the form of three different kinds of Dragonborn that you could be in Fizban's Treasury of Dragons, a and relatively incredible. recent book. Yeah, it's brilliant. Great. great, really good quality of life changes. Not overpowered. Gives you lots of options. But again, without it away. without being yeah. Whereas this has basically changed the damage dice on their breath weapon and given them dark vision. Now, I don't think anyone's going to complain about gaining dark vision. It can be useful. Everyone knows that. You walk into a dark room, you are told it's dark, you immediately yell, I have dark vision. That's how everyone plays D&D. But where are the other ancestry uh, types? Where'd they go? Nope. Give them back. Nope, that's it. So it's just Dragonborn and you choose your element that you have. No, give them to back. Your breath weapon does. It still takes your action. I mean... <sighs> I, I think that this is going to see some revision. I think that they're going to replace it with the Fizzbang ones. They have to. They're so good. Yeah. Uh, 
that's it for the Dragon Ball. <laughs> um, sub races. So similar to kind of what we've had before, sub races no longer exist in the same way that they did. This has already kind of been implemented uh, in Mordenkainen's Monsters of the Multiverse. Um, so they're kind of folded in to the existing race. So for example, if you look at the dwarf, there is no longer a choice between, yeah, mountain dwarf or hill dwarf. There's no longer separate bonuses for them. Um, whereas, you know, if you look at something like the elf, you do have choices to make in there, but it's all still elf. Yeah. Um, Only three of them, so, apparently. Yeah. Uh, which is good because there are just shitloads of elves. But again, there are other kinds of elf, but they've just called different things and they're separated out a little bit. So in Monsters of Multiverse, you have astral elves, or Shadar Kai are still elves. They're just not the elf race anymore. Yeah. It's kind of separated out, uh, which I think is fine. It's just a kind of quality of life thing. I can't see it causing too many problems. Mm. Um, we have a sort of new addition with orcs so previously the only way to play an orc was using information from the book for eberron or wildland mount the critical role setting this brings orcs into the kind of the quote-unquote basic races um and yeah again there's nothing super super broken about them they seem fairly fine are half orcs Half orcs and half elves are not there. There are no half races aside from the halfling, which is not a half race. What we have instead is if you want to head to page two of that first playtest, there's a little box on the side which says about children of different humanoids or, or something like that, which is basically Where the. Is it? So it's page, page two, two on the first playtest. I think it's on, it's on the right hand side. Um, oh yeah. Cool. Uh, that is basically your template for making a half-orc, half-elf, whatever, amongst any humanoid race. So you might have a half-dragonborn, half-orc, uh, and you basically you you basically you pick one and, and reflavor it. Is what I took from that. Uh, I've not reread over it since then, but yeah, you just mix and that, match traits. Just yeah lifespan is just average between the two lifespans there. Yeah. Understandable. Uh, so we'll not delve deep into the fact that this means that in standard D&D rules as written, all people can breed with all other people. Let's not delve into that. Yeah, let's not Plenty think, of people yeah. will do that. Uh, we're not going to do that. <laughs> but that, yeah, if you want a, yeah. a half-orc or half-elf as they were, Sorry, pal, they're not in the book. Um, sure. This does tie into a little bit with what we were saying about backwards compatible. Can you play a player's handbook half-elf in 1D&D? Who knows? You bought the book, it's in there, you've paid for it. Yeah. It's not in this book. What does that mean? Can you do it? Is it not allowed? Who knows? Is it considered homebrew? That would be strange. No one knows. <laughs> I do not have the answer for you on that. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I feel like it takes away some fun options, but at the same time, it gives a lot of other fun options, so... <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So they've kind of taken two away, given us two in the form of Ardling and Harpork. Uh, speaking of taking things away and giving me new things, the Tiefling to round out this section. Uh oh. Uh, Tiefling variants for all the different you know my baby. Uh, all the different levels of hell gone. Uh, it is now like the Ardling. You pick neutral, lawful, chaotic, and you get different stuff based on that. Uh, the Feral Tiefling, notably, which was a variant Tiefling, where you basically gave up the spells and you got Flight instead, also gone. No! Those are so cool! No, but they're gone. Fuck. So, yeah. No. <laughs> Sorry, Rowan. They're so cool! So, <laughs> yeah, so for example... Purdy, oh. do you know what kind of tiefling um, Lever is at the moment? <laughs> I think we're just basic tieflings. Well, what tiefling is, is, is she? Uh, I think we're just basic tieflings. I don't think we've got anything okay. special. So I, I believe that that is the lawful one that is on this playtest uh, as like the hell tiefling. Mm. Um, so yeah, so a bit of a rework, uh, you know. I, I don't feel too strongly about any of it, to be honest. Um, I would like an answer. As they to get cantrips. Half orc and half orc. Yeah, you get cantrips at the moment, don't you? You get thaumaturging and stuff. Yeah, but yeah. these are damage cantrips. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, Fiendish Legacies. Now you get Firebolt, um, or you could have Chill Touch with the Cathonic one, or Poison Spray with the Abyssal. That's fun. Yeah. So, so changes. Some good, some bad. Who knows? Though I think they took away Thaumaturge? Why? Give us both, you cowards. Too, too powerful. Yeah, Thaumaturge, most powerful oh. thing in the game. <laughs> so, uh, what I would like both of you to do is uh, we're going to start a little bit of character building as we go from here. Oh, no. Oh, it's a pick a race. Um, one, of, one of these guys? I, I mean... One of those, one of those new races... Okay. Or updated races. Totally up to you. I want to try the Ardling. Um, it's new. Okay. We have an Ardling. Mm, no. I'll tell you what. Go with Human, Purdy. Because that also yeah. takes us to... They have something that just lets them get inspiration. So we were talking before <laughs> about what you gain on... Uh, Rolling a nat 20 on the first one, or a nat 1 on the second playtest. Uh, humans just wake up with it. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I saw that, and I was like, what? Yeah. They just wake up with the ability to give themselves advantage on a d20. Who the hell came up with that? You know what? Humans of all races should not supremacy. fucking have that. Uh, that's what it is. <laughs> no oh human wakes up are... inspired. Oh, no. None of no, them. Just... <laughs> Just like halflings are lucky, humans are better at life. Oh uh, my god. <laughs> that's, that's this human oh. template. Okay, so we've got an Ardling for Rowan and a human for Purdy. So we're now going to move on to feats. So just keep that in the back of your mind. You've Don't now chosen. Don't get me you started ready. with the fucking feats. They, they have me in a so, full-on rage. So... Broad overview. Feats as they currently exist are an optional rule from the DMG and uh, at level at any level where you might gain an ability score increase or ASI you can choose a feat as long as you meet whatever prerequisites they are. 
usually those are based on uh like they might be based on race or the ability to have spell casting or an ability score being at a certain number so for example you couldn't take uh you know i think um there was a warlock one like there's a warlock based feat where you can take it as any class but you can't take some of the options unless you meet other yeah eldritch adept unless you meet other criteria all of that has kind of been turned on its head it's much more now almost like a skill tree in a video game so everyone starts with a level one feat okay and they give you uh in a list to look at in there so i actually didn't write down the page numbers for this but it'll be towards second. the rules glossary it's the second playtest. um in the first playtest we're, we're talking here oh they have them in the second one as well so yes we'll we'll get to that don't worry <laughs> so you gain a feat at first level from your background which we'll cover a little bit more later so this is part of choosing your like creating your character at first level you get a feat and there are some to choose from there um it now specifies as well as any prerequisites that you've got to meet if that feat is repeatable which is new uh so some feats by design you can pick up more than once and others you just get it once and you get no benefit if you were to try and take it again so you just can't take it ability score increases so for example raising your charisma by two or raising your strength by one your dex by one are now a feat so as opposed to an alternative they are packaged in and are only a feat fair there have also been significant changes to some feats so did you did you find the the page number um, on, on the, the first, first playtest, it's 16. Cool. So if you go to page uh, 17 for me on the first playtest, okay, you will find the lucky feat at first level. Oh, yeah. boy. So lucky, as it currently stands, is a little bit of a contentious uh, feat. It's banned at some tables. It uh, famously was used in the first campaign of Critical what critical roll quite a lot essentially you get three points which lets you re-roll a result three times once per each point um that's once you've seen the result already that's after any kind of disadvantage so you could give yourself like super advantage if you wanted essentially if your advantage didn't give you the result you wanted you could try again i think often a lot of tables would ban it because dms didn't want to deal with it that's fine. I, I can see the reasons for that, as long as everyone at the table is cool with that. Mm -hmm. Definitely changed. So now you can see on here, uh, you have a number of luck points equal to your proficiency bonus. Automatically start with two. And you regain them when you finish a long rest. That's the same. Immediately after you roll a d20 for a d20 test, you can spend a luck point to give yourself advantage on the roll. When a creature rolls a d20 to attack for, uh, for an attack roll against you, you can spend a luck point to impose disadvantage on that roll. So the difference here is that basically it's like inspiration. You are giving yourself advantage on a roll. But it's on the roll, it's not kind of post all bonuses on a roll. How, how do we feel about that? Because that is, it seems like a small change, but I think the power of it vastly decreased. Yeah. Do you think too much? Do you think not enough? you think just right which of Gold goldilocks porridges are you the unsure one mm -hmm. <laughs> i like it better than the current luck but i think it may get too unbalanced when you're 
higher levels? Yeah, so that's the thing. So as you go up in levels, so this will go from two per long rest to six per long rest. Yeah. At, you know, the high levels. Is being able to... let So let's say you are uh, Petty's new human character. The first level feat you've chosen is lucky. You wake up with the ability to give yourself advantage on any check once, I think. You then have six additional uses of it at high levels, or even just two at first level. So you have the ability to give yourself advantage three times in a day, and you have the ability to regain a use so that you've only ever got one for that if you roll in that one. That seems like quite a lot to me. That's a lot of advantage. Uh, I, I don't know. Like, having advantage, like, it's, all, it's almost always good. There's very few use cases where it's not a good thing to have. And it can be fun, especially if you roll low and then you remember you have the ability to be like, oh, and I can fucking do it again and try for something better. But also at the DM, it's fun to decide what situations deserve advantage yes. or disadvantage. And this kind of yeah. makes you want to not do that if they already have so many avenues to gain it mechanically. Yes. As well as this being a player character only thing because you know god help the party who go up against the dm who is doing your standard you know 10 goblins and all of them have lucky yeah (laughs) (laughs) like come on so i i don't don't know how i feel about it I, i don't think the game would have suffered had lucky been removed entirely i don't know if this is too strong i don't know if this is too weak i i again i think this is one that it's valuable. It shows why having a playtest is valuable. Because yeah. if this was just printed into the book and no one saw it before, people would go, whoa, what? <laughs> I almost want to see a uh, version so- of it. I almost want to see a version of it that is instead of the luck points, you get a set number two or three where the thing that changes is like an additional bonus to a roll so based on your proficiency. So like a plus two when you're lower level and that luck increases as you go up. Yeah, could do something like that. Just, you could do where it's where it's three points, but it's like one attack roll, one saving throw, one ability check. And then that way you can't just do it on three attack rolls. You know, th- th- there's pros and cons uh, around it, yeah. definitely, for, for changing it. Or the luck just point that, thing where you can expend however many to add that much to the roll. Yeah. Yeah, like, uh, I think there is a monk ability that's similar to, to that, where you yeah. spend key points and you get a bonus. Yeah. Um, there are also, so so these first level feats in this bit are, none of them in theory are super powerful. Um, there's another one that I want to draw your attention to, though, as having, as a feat which has been changed. So if you want to go up to page 16 and take a look at the alert feat for me. Oh, no, what did they do to my baby? Hmm. So, someone want to read that aloud for us? Uh, sure. Uh, always a lookout for danger. You gain the following benefits. Initiative proficiency. When you roll initiative, you can add your proficiency bonus to the roll. Or initiative swap. Immediately after you roll initiative, you can swap your initiative with the initiative of one willing ally in the same combat. You can't make the swap if you or the ally is incapacitated. How the fuck did that work? Give me the roleplay situation how that works, please. Yeah. It's a little, uh... <laughs> little wordy. In, compa- in comparison, this is what 
alert currently does. You gain plus five to initiative. You can't be surprised while you are conscious. And other creatures don't gain advantage on attack rolls against you as a result of being unseen. So it's pretty different. Yeah, this um, one is just like a lot worse. <laughs> I think so I think there are there are definitely use cases. I think what you said about like swapping initiative is if you're taken by so it doesn't say anything about surprise on there, does it? Nothing about surprise. Okay. Which so is if you're taken by surprise and you as the barbarian roll really well because you have advantage, and the wizard rolls super low, but the wizard is right next to the attackers. You can swap. The wizard can run away before the attackers get their turn. That's depending on a few assumptions. You're assuming that the wizard will go after the attackers if they don't swap. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely interesting. I like that it doesn't have a resource cost. Um, it's not a thing that you're limited to. You can just do it every initiative. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I, I I don't know. I, I feel like. It's a little bit of an unnecessary change. Mm. Yeah. I don't like it. I don't like would it. Would you have would you have kept it the same? Yeah. Absolutely. Because yeah. alert I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I've I've never thought of it as an unpopular feat or even a particularly um overpowered feat. No. It, it's very it's a very middling feat, I think. But it is it is a good middling feat. Mm. Upper end of that. Um, I barely. So let's talk about some feats are so good, mm. Purdy. You should look at them more. <laughs> I know it's just it's a lot of reading, and I don't read. Her, so Purdy. let's 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 talk about some some good feats then. <laughs> so uh, these are ones that you have probably heard heard of, Purdy, as sharpshooter and great weapon master. I've heard of sharpshooter, yeah. Yeah. So these are the ones where, amongst other things, so the, this is on uh, page two, sorry, uh, the second playtest document. Um, so let's look at a sharpshooter first, which is on page 22, the second playtest. So among other things, sharpshooter and great weapon master would let you take a minus five penalty to your attack roll with ranged or heavy weapons but you would gain double that, plus 10, on the damage. That is fully gone. That functionality across both feats, totally gone. So, for Sharpshooter, um, you can now increase your, so it increases your deck score by one. You know, ability score bonuses are always nice. Uh, you ignore cover, that's the same. Being within five feet of an enemy doesn't impose disadvantage on ranged attacks uh, with weapons, that's new. That was previously part of Crossbow Expert. It still is for anyone wondering. And then long shots, attacking at long range doesn't impose disadvantage on your ranged attack rolls with weapons. That is the same as it always was. My question is, is that good enough to take? I think so. If you're using a long bow, your like short range is like 200 feet anyway. Uh, I think even with a short bow, it's something like 60 feet. You know, how often are you firing at people more than 60 feet away from you anyway? I mean, in the first place. But without that kind of damage... I think it uh, makes other weapons a little more viable. Run weapons, for sure. 
it, de mm. it definitely equalizes them. Yeah. The question is, is the place where they are equal to good enough, or should or should everything have been brought up, or should you have been able to have that kind of trade off with other things as well? The trade off was always weird to me. Um, like I, I never wanted to do it because I, <laughs> I don't know. It's just a massive penalty to to hit. Um, I don't know. I I I like it. You like the change, Purdy? What what's your kind of gut instinct? So not not the feat specifically, but not having the option to do a minus five plus ten damage. I don't know. I honestly a, don't know. That's okay. I would say I, I, I quite like this then, because we've got the person who happy with it. Not sure, and I personally, I like having the option to do it. I, I think that they should maybe have tied it to proficiency bonus rather than fixed numbers. So that as, you know, a level, this is a fourth level feat. Um, at fourth level, you can only have a minus two plus four or because your proficiency bonus hasn't gone up. And so that the risk and reward increases the higher you get, but while you're also increasing other things, other bonuses, etc. Um, I'm always a fan of more options. I, I, I yeah. not usually a fan of removing options. Um, was it too good in the first place? Maybe. Uh, and that's why it's been kind of removed. Uh, but there's definitely interesting things to... For, for the people who are going to do the maths on it, I think there's there's definitely work to be done there on what it changes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree that removing options is not great. Yeah. Which is a lot of the also problem I have with these new feet things and their prerequisites. I will say there's also the possibility I'm slightly biased as I did I played a archer, uh, mainly arcane archer with rogue levels as well, uh, in a campaign as well. I had sharpshooter and it was fun. So I could be biased as well. Right, moving on to the related, but not, now no longer entirely separate, backgrounds. So what I would like you both to do uh, first is to go to either your current C3 character's character page or a previous character, if you would like it to remain a bit more serious, and tell me what your cur current background feature is. So if you want that to remain a secret yeah. for your C3, this so seems like a trap. I don't think I'm going to go with Maisie's background. Thank you very much. I will go with my C2 character. That is a-okay. If it, I've, I've even got it written I've, on my notes here. I've even got it written down. Ask what their current characters, or in brackets, or a previous, if they would prefer to keep things hidden, background are. So, who, who has theirs up uh, already? Okay, Rowan. What is... Well, first of all, which character is this? Uh, wait, I clicked on the wrong person. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> why is it, why does it just keep opening up Macy's sheet, even though I'm not... Sorry, I don't have it open, we apparently. Buddy, do you have yours open? Nope. <laughs> there we go, there we go. I got it now. Okay. Okay, um... Which character are we looking at? This is Etch. Um, okay. What is Edge's background? Inventor. 
And what is the background feature that you get with the inventor background? Guild membership. What does it do? As an established and respected member of a guild, you can rely on certain benefits that membership provides. Your fellow guild members will provide you with lodging and food if necessary and pay for your funeral if needed. Oh, didn't read that part before. <laughs> In some cities and towns, the guild hall offers a central place to meet other members of your profession, which can be a good place to meet potential patrons, allies, or hirelings. Guilds often wield tremendous political power. If you are accused of a crime, your guild will support you if a good cause can be made for your innocence or the crime is justifiable. You can also gain access to powerful political figures through the guild if you are a member in good standing. Such connections might require the donation of money, magic items, to the guild's coffers. You must pay dues of five gold per month to the guild. If you miss payments, you must make up back, you must make up back dues to remain in the guild's good graces. Okay. And in our campaign, that essentially translated over to you being uh, on the um, Valuna City Council. Yeah, so initially. It went through many stages of things, but yes. Yeah, yeah. Purdy, which character are we looking at for you? Elsie. Elsie? What was Elsie's background and background feature? Folk hero and rustic hospitality. Uh, since you come from rank... The ranks of common folk, you fit among them in with ease. There, you can find a place to hide, rest, or recuperate among the uh, among other commoners. Unless you have shown yourself to be a danger to them, they will shield you from the law or anyone else searching for you. Though they will not risk their lives for you. Sure. And for Bartlett, um, his background, uh, well, he was, his background was failed merchant and the feature was supply chain. From your time as a merchant, you retain connections with wholesalers, suppliers, and other merchants and entrepreneurs. You can call upon these connections when looking for items or information. So these are fun little things that you can use to, uh, influence your backstory to, um, kind of, you might do it the other way around. You might do your backstory and then look at the background, see which one fits the best you might do a custom background where you just pick whichever feature you want and then do everything else around that these are gone from the playtest uh instead we get those first level feats mm. do like you think that. i was gonna say do you think that the things that we've lost although flavorful do you think that they are as strong as the feats uh do you like that they're more flavorful than powerful where, where, where do you think that that where, where does that fall with you to be honest i barely ever pay attention to my um background stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is totally a big thing i think a lot of people would say the same i think i used that supply chain feature once i never used my folk hero stuff mm -hmm. I... because i didn't even know about that thing i've just read out to you guys <laughs> I think from for me, um, those background features all always crossed a little too far into determining how roleplay is done, which mm -hmm. I didn't like. Yeah, totally valid. For example, I believe that the sailor background uh, lets you just book passage on a ship uh, yeah. for free. Yeah, um, which is weird. Um, yeah, because that then can mess with DM stuff. DM might have one ship available in the harbour and you've got to go do something for the captain before doing it. 
-hmm. Now, if you have that sailor background and you say, oh, well, this says that I can just book passage and the DM then either has to go, oh yeah, okay, on you go then. And, you know, fuck whatever they have planned. Or they go, mm, well, no, actually, you don't. It's about to say, it's be like <laughs> they've had planned a whole bloody session about this one thing. Yeah. And you could fuck it over by your background thing. Yeah. It, so it definitely is uh, it's something that could mess with things. Now, at the same time, some of them are much less broad than that. So, for example... Um, one is useless. <laughs> I, I think haunted one is just people don't like you, right? Yeah, it's just people don't <laughs> yeah. like to look at you or be around you. Just go away, essentially. Uh, whereas, for example, I think it's uh, char it's either charlatan or a word that means charlatan um, is you are able to like copy documents. Now that is yeah. that's something that might not come up all the time, same as you know booking passage on ship. But that is something that is that could actively be quite major. Yeah. Um, so, I, I, I don't know. They're I, definitely not all created equal. I feel like those kinds of things are better just left up to the DM's discretion anyway. Like, just the DM thinks, does this make sense for the character that we've built? Yeah. And then you determine those kinds of things yourself rather than have it mechanically set by a background feature. I, I do like the level one features instead. That's why I did it in Terrace. That's why... Yeah, I think that's why they're changing it. It just makes more sense. I will say, so if you head to page 11 on the first playtest, um, it does seem like they are encouraging custom backgrounds more than they did previously. Uh, custom backgrounds were always rules as written, like it was always an option where you could just mix and match your background. It just seems like they're spelling it out a bit clearer of, here's all the things that make up a background, your ASI, your first level feet, etc your language, starting equipment. That is all the stuff that makes up a background. Or you can pick, you know, one of the sample ones that we've already done for you. Yeah, I, I so think... those, those sample ones, they have written flavor around it. So for example, I think Tavern Brawler has flavor around like sailors and, and stuff like that. So it might suggest that if your background is, you know, you worked on the docks all your life and you were a deckhand for many years before making your way up to first mate, you might choose Tavern Brawler, that kind of thing, as a sample, quickly. Yeah, I think so, it makes sense. It's just like assigning mechanics to the background you've written, and I guess the default ones are if you don't want to write any uh, backstory to your character. <laughs> so, since you have both started making your characters, I would love for you to pick a sample background. We'll just do the samples rather than going through the, the full custom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think my Ardling will be a cultist. <laughs> I was what? looking at that one as well. What does that give you then? Um, that means I get plus two intelligence and plus one charisma. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Ability scores with the... Okay. Um, yeah, so ability scores, rather than tied to the races, you choose them as part of your background. That makes sense. So those sample more. backgrounds have already picked for you. But obviously, if you're doing custom backgrounds, you can do everything the same as cultists. You just pick plus two to strength and one to dex, if that's what you wanted. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, skill proficiency it gives me Arcana and Religion. Tool proficiency it gives me a Disguise Kit. Language I get Abyssal. Um, and for Feet I get the Magic Initiate, com or parentheses Arcane. Mm hmm. We'll get to that. Don't you worry. Uh, Purdy, what uh, background are you choosing for your human? Charlatan. Okay. What does that give you? 
Uh, ability score plus two charisma plus one dex. Uh, skill proficiencies. Deception, slight of hand. Tall is forgery. Language is infernal. And feet is skilled. Yeah. So, again, and like I said, charlatan, I think, is already an existing one. Still in the game, just slightly different in terms of what it lets you do. So skilled is, I think, you just get three skill proficiencies and you choose what they are, One rather can than be expertise, thing or... probably. I think that's a, I think that's a, a separate feat. I think that's skill expert. Oh, you're right. Uh, whereas, as I said, so I think most people would probably choose to have three extra skill proficiencies than the ability to forge documents or copy documents or whatever. But you know, we'll see. So. Keep those in mind as we move from backgrounds to spell casting. Oh. So this is a fairly major change. So you have both played full casters. Yes. Uh, well, Purdy, you no, have played, played a, a sorcerer, and you played a warlock. It's a half caster, isn't it? They only get up to level five. Spell I think casting. they're considered full casters because they get um, the. Uh, I can't remember what they're called now, but you get like one, six, seven plates a night oh, a okay. day. Sure. Um, but yeah, but you have you have played casters, yes. yeah, yeah. Uh, and you played uh, a druid as well. I did. So <laughs> there are no longer individual class spell lists. For example, as a druid, you do not select from the druid spell list. Instead. All the spells in the game have been collated into three spell lists. Arcane, Primal, and Divine. Uh, a spell, First of all, a spell being on one spell list does not mean that it cannot be on another spell list. They are shared across spell lists, some of them. However, that does not mean that there are not some spells that only appear on one uh, or two. So, that's the big thing. Straight away, no more spell lists related to your class. However, it does seem that there are limits on what you can pick from those spell lists based on your class. For example, if you are a ranger, you're a half caster, you can cast up to five, fifth level spells at level 20. You can now choose from the primal spell list any spell except from the evocation school of magic. And School of Magic seems to be how they're defining these limitations. Mm. So, quite different. Beforehand, mm. for anyone uh, wondering, it would be that Wizards of the Coast basically designated a spell list that went, these are the spells rangers can choose, and that was it. And it was already limited from all the spells in the game by those spells, but they were of whatever School of Magic. School of Magic has never really been important, except for very niche class features. Almost never mattered. Now it seems to. So, um, in the this playtest document on page, uh, I think it's page twenty-four of the second playtest, they have basically put in a list of all of the spells in, from the player's handbook. And if it has an underlined name, it is it now works differently and has a different function. Asterisk. If it has an asterisk, yeah. asterisk. It is a different school of magic. So, for example, I think there are some spells that like seem like they should be the school of illusion, but weren't, and now are. Dancing um, lights, for one. Yeah. So I think previously that was evocation, and now is illusion. So, 
very different to begin with, totally. Uh, another big difference. Currently, spellcasters are split into two groups. You have spells known, which is basically like a bard or a sorcerer. You, when you level up, you can pick a new spell to learn of whatever level uh, that you're able to cast. And that's it. You know that spell and you can then change it the next time you level up if you want to. The other kind of caster is prepared casters, things like druids and clerics, where after a long rest, you can swap over all of your spells except cantrips. Every single spellcaster, speculation for things that we haven't seen, but the way that it seems like they're setting up is every single spellcaster is now a prepared caster. Every spellcaster can wake up in the morning, change around their spell list, including cantrips. Mm. So, I personally like that. I really don't know how to feel about that bit of it. I I I think it benefits the the wider variety. If you, like if you know, for example, that you're going to be doing lots of combat, and usually you would have a bunch of spells for uh, you know maybe finding objects or uh, not getting lost and making your way through caves easily, you can then go. Oh, we're going to be having that kind of gladiator battle today. I'm going to take fireball and lightning bolt and all the rest of it. Totally valid. I can see why that's there. Here is where it kind of gets a little bit strange. So, uh, I went on Bartlett's character sheet earlier. Bartlett as a level 20 character, 17 levels of cleric and three levels of ranger, can cast a shitload of spells, okay? And so I went through and I unprepared every single spell that was on there and I started re-preparing all the high level spells. So currently, Bartlett has uh, like one, two, three, four, five ninth level spells prepared. <laughs> and one, two, three, four, five eighth level spells prepared, etc. I basically just went from top down. Now, obviously, if we were going to play that in a game, that would not be very useful because you only get one ninth level spell mm -hmm. or one eighth level spell but they have imposed a limitation on the number of spells you can prepare per level. It now equals the amount of spell slots you have. Oh no, 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 no. So if you scroll down on the, um, uh, or rather scroll, scroll up on the second uh, playtest document to I think maybe page three is where it is for the ranger. I didn't write that one down. Yeah. Uh, no, sorry. Yeah. So if you go to page three on the second playtest, we'll look at the Vard uh, for this instance. You, you got it? Uh, yeah. Okay. So on here, you can see the quite familiar table that shows you how many spell slots you get per level. Same as normal. You start with two first level spell slots, it goes up to three, then it goes up to four, and you get two second level spells slots. That that the spell slot progression is the same as it's always been, including multicasting. That hasn't changed. Uh, not multicasting, multi-classing. However, if you look just above there, it says prepared spells per spell level as well. So at first, I'm sorry, at third level, even though you have you have six spell slots 
you can prepare four first level spells and two second level spells only. You cannot prepare five first level spells and one second level spell. It has to be the number equal to the spell slots you have. Before I tell you about how I feel about it, I can see Rowan shaking their head. Hate it. Hate, hate it? It's garbage. Okay. Why? It, it's removing agency. What if, what if you want, because a lot of the spells scale, so what if you want to have a spell that scales in level one, like, like additional ones down there, rather than using the spell slots level two for level two spells? Why? Then it takes up one of the slots for first level. Yeah, why is that restriction put on you, though? Mm-hmm. There's no reason. What do you if, think, if, Yeah. Sorry, we'll, we'll, don't worry. We're, we're gonna. This is yeah. something we're gonna stay on for a couple of minutes. Yep. How, how do you feel about that, Purdy? So with Elsie, uh, you weren't able to swap out your spells kind of as you wanted every long rest like I was. So do you feel like the ability to have changed those around would have been useful kind of throughout the campaign? You're muted. You're muted. I was because my dog pulled my headphones out, so I only heard like half of what you guys were originally oh. talking about. Okay. Um, but yeah, for me, switching the spells out would have been good for whilst I played Elsie, mm -hmm. but then I'd never played a spellcaster before. Mm -hmm. So it would have been good for me to learn spells, if that makes yep. sense, and like learn what they do. And how do you feel about the restriction on how many spells you can prepare of each level? So if you, so for example here at level three, so if you're on page three of the second playtest, looking at the bard table, if you're third level, you get four first level spells and two second level spells. That they tell you that when you're preparing those spells, you can only have four first level spells and two second level spells. What? So for example, so that table you can see at the bottom of page three, yeah? Yeah. So that is the same as it's always been for the number of spell slots you have per level. Hmm. But those numbers now, under this change, are also the number of spells you can prepare. So for example, as a third level sorcerer, uh, as Elsie, you, hmm. under the old rules, if you'd been able to prepare them, you would have been able to choose, uh, say, six spells, and they could have all been first level. Mm -hmm. With this... They have to be four first level and two second level. See, personally, I'm not too bothered about that. Mm -hmm. But that's because I really struggled with spells and I'm not. I, 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 I agree with you on that point. I think it makes spellcasting and choosing spells, I think it makes it easier. It certainly mm -hmm. will make it faster because I can tell you with having every time I was looking at preparing party spells, there were a good few minutes after most long rest where I would just be looking through a list and not really contributing because mm. I had so many to choose from. And, you know, I could have swapped out loads of them all the time, but it was, it did take longer knowing that there were so many, say second level spells that I wanted to take. But at the same time, I definitely agree with you, Rowan. My personal take on this is that this is not a... While it, it might be a good change in terms of new players, I don't think it's a healthy change for the game of restricting players' choices that much. I, I can certainly see the logic behind it. I think it's an, a choice that makes it less fun. For me, it's good for new players who are still learning and like 
especially players like me who learn through playing the game mm -hmm. i don't learn through 100%. reading or through all the jargon that there is out there mm -hmm. i learn through playing the game so for me it's good and it will make the game flow better for people like that because it like you said it means that you're not sat there for hours upon end going through different spells yeah. that you could swap out you have a certain amount that you can only choose 100 percent. i definitely think it will speed up uh, but that. for long-term players i think it could be a big hindrance mm -hmm. who people who know what spells they like know what spells work and stuff like that it will be a right pain in the ass yeah I, I definitely think the way to go is to put in there because they do put in little like hints and tips and stuff i think put in there for new players encourage them to use this as mm. you have four first level spells and two second level spells and then as they get more comfortable either remove that restriction or encourage them to maybe play with different numbers my concern with this especially as you said with kind of more experienced players is as I think very few players are going to start the game and come into a new game at high level. But let's say you are a fifteenth uh, level bard in this case. It could be any full spell, full spellcaster. So if you look on this table, at fifteenth level, you have one eighth level spell slot, one seventh level spell slot, and one sixth level spell slot. Under these proposed rules, you would only be able to pick one sixth level, one seventh level, and one eighth level spell. What that means is you cannot prepare as much for what might happen. So you have to pick at the start of the day, I think I'm going to use Sunburst or whatever. And you can't say, oh, but I'm also going to take a mass healing word or whatever. You know, I don't think it was the same, but you get the gist. You can't say, oh, I'm also going to take this just in case. Mm. And I, th I think that restriction is not good for the game. Especially yeah. as well, I'll point out, considering that wizards could already kind of uh, prepare you know, a shitload of spells and have a crapload of spells and kind of have that versatility. Presumably, if they follow the same rules, that's not an option anymore. Yeah. I also would just rather see like a spell slot pool um, rather than this per level spell slot thing. I think that just as far yes. as getting more versatility to spells. You're talking about the optional mana. variant of the yeah. spell point system, right? Yeah. So that's where you get, say, I don't, know, I don't know how many it is, but you get like 30 spell points. And from that, you could use two to cast the first level spell five to cast a fifth level spell that kind of thing yeah i to be honest i wouldn't be surprised if we see that for either warlock or sorcerer as their version of spell casting because yeah. warlock especially i am so curious to see what they're going to do with it because it's spell casting works so much differently to all the other classes i do think that there's a decent chance that we'll see that in this playtest as the basic form of something rather than yeah. Uh, or even even wizards could could get it. I I, I do think that it, that is not unlikely. Yeah. I just want to see more versatility, honestly. Mm. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts on the the spell slot 
and kind of that before we move on to I have to move on I hate the it big, the big one <laughs> the okay. big one oh god the big one please turn class to page 32 of the second playtest and we're going to talk about a little spell a very it's little like... spell just a little baby spell so if you have watched uh, Critical Role uh, in either Campaign 2 or Campaign 3, you'll often hear uh, a player, or to be honest, any player with a spell or guidance. Can I cast often guidance on that? Guidance. I want to cast guidance. Yeah. Do guidance. What this is, is this is a cantrip, so it's a, a resourceless spell where basically you touch an ally and they get a d4 to their next d20 roll, basically. The new guidance spell... Uh, is found on the divine and primal spell lists. So it seems like the people who had access to it before will still have access to it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's rather than an action, it is now a reaction, uh, which fits uh, better with how a lot of people were playing it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, it has a range of 30 feet. So it's now ranged rather than touch. Pretty cool. That's good. Pretty cool. Yep. <laughs> However, thing. the effect of the spell now reads, you channel magical insight to the creature who failed an ability check. So basically, you see a friend within 30 feet fail something, specifically an ability check. That creature can roll a d4 and add the number rolled to the check, potentially turning it into a success. Okay, so kind of working like a worse version of how it was before, but it's ranged and it's a reaction. So maybe that works better. However, once a creature rolls the die for this spell, that creature can't benefit from the spell again until they finish a long rest. So this is a cantrip, which you can swap out now under the, the new rules, that you can use once per person for a d4 only on an ability check if they have failed. And you, presumably, to know, you would have to, to get the best use out of this, you would have to know that they have failed by at most four mm -hmm. to get use out of it so that it, so that it works. But I will say, that last bit there, it doesn't say once a creature has used this successfully to succeed on an ability check, it only says once they have rolled the die. So they can still fail and not be able to benefit from it again. I mean, <laughs> I think that's fucking awful. Yeah, it's. I think that is a shocking design design it's decision. Horrible. <laughs> what, I what think the, that's... What's the face for, Purdy? I'm still trying to process. So, for example, when we were playing C2 as Bartler, I would be able to like whenever you guys were doing stuff, I would be able to go. Guidance, and that was when mm. you could roll an extra d4. So that good extra d4 on most things. This would basically be I would only be able to do that if I thought you were gonna about to fail a check once per person every day. As a can. So let's say that sounds stupid. Yeah. So let's say um, the tower that uh, Maisie climbed up in C3, mm. right? That was. What, three or four skill checks in a row? It was like six or eight. <laughs> yeah. So a bunch of skill checks in a row. If if we had been going up with Maisie and someone who can cast Guidance, they would have been able to cast Guidance 
each time as they were going up. Or, mm. even better, if Amazing New Guidance could cast it on herself each time. And then go, right, I'm going to do this, Guidance, I'm going to do this, Guidance, I'm going to do this. Under this new version of the spell, she'd only be able to do that once. For the rest of the day. That, that'd be it. Gone. It, they, they're setting it up. Not like it's a cantrip or even a spell, but like it's a class ability. Yes. Mm. I hate that. Just no. no. Just no. I, I will say, the example that I've just used of, um, you know, I'm, uh, I, I can cast guidance on myself and I'm going to do this. Guidance on myself, I'm going to do this. Guidance. That is, you could argue, kind of abusing its functionality. Yeah, like, that's what I was just thinking. I was just thinking, that. like, it stops you from overusing it. However, it's to go D4. from once a person a long rest for a D4 is that might not even succeed. Like, there are some variations of the Bardic Inspiration where it's similar, where you kind of, you give it, and if someone uses it, and they don't succeed on the check using it, then it's not expended and they can use it again until they succeed. I something like that maybe I, I would have been all right with, but something like this where it's just maybe maybe it helps, maybe it doesn't. But either way, you've used it. I think I, I, I honestly I think it's I think it's worth I think it's the worst thing in these playtests. I don't. Sorry, I, my voice is going a little bit. I don't know if you can hear. I can tell. Uh, yeah, I, you sound like me. <laughs> I don't see a problem with guidance guidance abuse. It's a it's a D four. It like <clears throat> it's it's essentially a, a help action that's magically class, cast that it's consistent. It's not advantage. It's between plus one to plus four to a roll. Okay, sure. It, if that's how it goes, then your teammate helped helped you do it. That's, that's yeah. just how it goes. Sometimes. It's not that big. Arguably, of a thing. arguably, it's worse than the help action because advantage averages yeah. out to roughly plus five. Yeah. Um. So you're never you're never getting that with guidance literally because it only goes up to four. Yep. Uh, and it, presumably you're doing guidance instead of the help action. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I just leave, leave it an action. Let you do it as many times as you want. It's just I do like the like, range of thirty feet thing though. That's pretty. That I like that change. Well, I I think it's I think it's also it's crossing too far into the realm of inspiration. Yeah. Mm. From, from the bard and with this and we'll we'll get to the bard. Even more so, it is crossing that boundary. Um, this is basically just a worse. Everyone gets a worse version of the bard inspiration, and, and it's not not even like unlimited. Yeah, like if they had just if they had just made it ability checks without the restriction of once per long rest, it would still, you know, it would be fine. It wouldn't be great because at the moment guns can be used on attack rolls or saving throws. I think. But just on ability checks, it's, yeah. It's very clear what they're trying to do. I just think they've massively overdone it. I don't think they need to do it at all. No. It's fine. Um, there is only a, one other spell that has been changed in terms of its functionality out of the whole list from the PHP. Barks plenty in. have had their, yeah, plenty have had their, their change in... Um, uh, magic school. Uh, bark skin is on page thirty-one, and before anyone looks at it, I already have. Have you already looked at it? Okay, yeah. Purdy. Before you look at it, have you already looked at it? Nope. Okay, look I'm away. Still trying to find it. So, does anyone? 
Because and I'm I, I have an idea, but I'm not sure. Does anyone know what the bark skin spell does at the moment? <laughs> I do. Yeah. I didn't even know it was a thing. For no. Me. What does it do, Ryan? Because I, believe... I I could I think I know, but I'm not sure. I believe it sets your AC to 16, despite any armor or any other thing you have. Like, it just... Your AC is 16. Yeah. Once it sets there. And and it's a second level, like, just druid spell, I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, it it's it's whatever. It's like mage armor. It's, it's a total non... Like I don't think people use it very much. Yeah, it's just it doesn't it doesn't do anything particularly exciting. Because I don't think you can benefit from anything else when bark skin is cast on you. So like dex, uh, I don't know who cares. Your skin is bark. Yeah. So. Yeah. So the new version uh, is touch bonus action concentration up to an hour. Uh, I don't know if the old one is concentration. Uh, you touch one willing creature to protect it with regenerating bark. Until the spell ends, the target's skin assumes a bark-like appearance, and at the start of the target's turns, the target regains a number of temporary hit points equal to your spellcasting ability modifier plus your proficiency bonus. When you cast it with a higher uh, spell slot, you can target an additional creature for each spell slot above second. So basically, you give them a regenerating pool of temporary hit points. This will work very similarly to uh, Cal's Twilight Domain Cleric, or Cal the Twilight Domain Cleric in C3 when we get to that level. It's just a replenishing pool of temporary hit points. So you throw this on your Barbarian who's getting hit all the time. It's kind of like Regen uh, a for them yeah. in terms of damage. They're constantly not healing their hit point maximum, but they're constantly getting a shield that damage has to go through before it affects the hit point maximum, which is fine. Yeah, like, I this, like that change a lot. Now, this is now a decent spell. Yeah, I have clarifications on what it is currently. The okay. wording is, the target's AC can't be less than 16, regardless of what kind of armor it is wearing. So you can still benefit from a shield if you have bark skin, but if your AC is over 16 already, there's no point to it. Correct, yeah. Uh, is it concentration at the moment? Yep. It lasts for an hour. Yeah. So it's a, it's a spell no one uses uh, yep. to a a decent spell. Nothing, nothing wrong with this tool. Yeah. Definitely has its use. It's good. I think people are going to start using it. Yeah. Decent support spell. Yeah. Um, that's that's it in terms of the spells that have been changed. Um, how, how do we feel about spellcasting changes in general? So Purdy, as, as you were saying, as someone who has played a full spellcaster, but it was their first one, how, how, how do you feel? It's a hard one. I feel as somebody who still wants to learn spells but has been completely put off by spellcasting because of what I played, mm -hmm. it will be good for me. Mm -hmm. um, however, I think as people learn the game more, it's a pain in the ass. Mm. Like all of it. Um, I don't know, there's good aspects and there's bad aspects to it all. I just think with everything we've spoken about today, the rules, every single bit of rules should be up to the DM and the group they're playing. Mm -hmm. I don't think there should be any, you have to play by these rules on any of it. I think all of it should just be 
here's a set of rules that we think are good. Use them if you want. Yeah, I, I hope that they that they will still include all of that in in there, like it mm. was in the original one. Um, I I just with the inclusion of things like the influence action, etc. I wonder about just how much that will be encouraged, or if they're just if they're literally putting it in there to to cover their own asses and be like, look, it's here. If if you if you have no idea, this this is it. I'd about to say if it's a case of just dropping stuff in, and going, hey, this is available for you to use if you want to use it, is completely different to, hey, this is what you're going to be using. Yeah. What are your thoughts, Ryan? Um. Yeah, I just don't like them removing options. Um, I feel like their their role as Wizards of the Coast should never be to impose limitations. It should only be to give more options. Because um, at yeah. the end of the day, DMs and groups will decide what they want to do. Hmm. And they just yeah. want more options to choose from. Minor tweaks, I don't think anyone really has much of a problem with. Uh, they already published the errata, which is where they basically say, oh, this doesn't quite work, so we're just tweaking this. This is now, it works like this. And usually they're fairly minor, and it's for the health of the game rather than uh, any kind of large sweeping change. Um, I, had, I had just thought of something to do with the... Uh, oh, yes, sorry. So we were saying about um, the spell slot change with how many you can prepare of each level. Mm -hmm. I've thought of I've thought of something. So I think we're fairly agreed that that will help new players, yeah? Yeah. Mm. I wonder why then they have used the School of Magic thing, which all spells had to begin with, it just never really came up, as the way of determining what spells each class can take from those three spell lists. Mm. Because that seems like an extra step. Rather than having you're playing a you're playing a paladin, these are the spells you can choose. Pick them. Instead it's going, you're playing a paladin, okay, go to the divine spell list and you can pick from these five schools of magic. Yeah. Um that seems counterintuitive to me. I I mean if they're wanting to put limits on it, there's got to be a way to do that. I feel like so they could have chosen. They could have just because I I do like the definition between the three spell lists, mm. but I don't think they need to have them set up as spell lists in that sense. More so, I I find that to be a useful RP tool and not so useful character building tool. I think the per class yeah. spell list is more useful character building wise see i like the not having ones per class but i'm not sure if i like the way they've gone about changing it how would you guys feel about in uh having spell lists per class but an extra little section on where it says second level action and then components it says either arcane primal divine to tell you which kind of magic it is mm. and then it, it could even be more than one yeah how would you feel about something like that and then you know there could be on D, &D beyond a document or with it all as the three lists or something like that I, I think that might have been a better way to do it yeah i think um, that's i think that'd be more useful yeah okay well we've i, I feel like we've covered those pretty comprehensively so what we're going to do 
is we're going to take a 10 minute break and we'll come back for the second part where we are going to discuss the last section which is the classes presented the expert classes uh in the second playtest which is the bard ranger and most importantly for you two the rogue yeah Alrighty. right see you in 10 minutes see you i'm not gonna stop the recording alex uh deal with it we're only coming back for one more <laughs> section I hope you enjoyed this episode of Dicebreakers thank you to Dark Fantasy Studio and Nicholas Judy for the use of their music in the episode and a big thanks to you for listening if you prefer to see us live don't forget to follow us on Twitch or Glimish at Dicebreakers D&D or if you want to watch us at your own pace consider subscribing to us on YouTube Don't forget to come back next week to see what the characters get up to in the next part of this epic adventure. I'll see you then.